Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, we have 3 to one Go with Cosmo Macero, then an interview with Carlisa Brown from the Salvation Army's Massachusetts Division, and in two minutes with Tom, we're talking Brexit. First up, 3 to one Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, the Hallmark Channel reverses course on its controversial decision to pull advertising featuring a same-sex marriage. But the damage is done, we'll look at how much. And Suzanne Morse talks to journalist Bijan Bain about the new movie, Little Women, set in her hometown of Harvard, Massachusetts. Finally, we talk with our own Kyan Isaacson about the holiday season. We're right in the middle of it, but when does it really begin, when does it end, and how important are the holidays in your household? Joining me here on 321 Go is and Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA On Air. Well, Kyan. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's good to see you. And you. Another week. Here we go. Here we go. Last last episode of 2019. It is. It's a milestone. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. All right, let's get to it. All right, Kyan, let's set the stage on this Hallmark controversy. Um, the Hallmark, Hallmark Network, uh, part of the same company that produces the uh, iconic Hallmark brand of greeting cards, mm-hmm. and they specialize in this sort of sappy, family-friendly kind of, uh, you know, uh, calm, sepia-toned sort of TV movie thing, right? Sepia-toned. And... Um, Particularly around the holidays. It's like a non-stop holiday romance movie bonanza. Right. So there's a brief sort of uh, conservative or Mm -hmm. family organization conservative backlash. Yeah, was it one million moms? One million moms. Saying, hey, wait a second. Those ads you're running featuring a same-sex marriage, two women, and oh my goodness, they're kissing... uh, how dare you pull those off? That's not that's not what the Hallmark Channel is about, and Hallmark acquiesces. Yes, they did. Uh, so they acquiesced to one backlash, mm-hmm. uh, and the ads were what were what for uh, for uh, Zola uh, Zola, uh, which is a, a, a event planning company. It's a yeah wedding wedding, re- wedding registry and planning website. Now, I consider myself a, a, somewhat of an expert on the you topic, do as right? an officiant yourself as an officiant as a justice of the peace mm-hmm. here in Massachusetts, someone who was uh, uh, you know authorized to perform marriages, and by the way. Uh, I've I've only performed one, but I performed a same-sex marriage, and it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful moment. Anyways, um, the acquiesce to that backlash, and then lo and behold, and how, you had to predict this, the follow-up backlash is much worse. Yes, it's unbelievable. Yes, um, people weren't happy, <laughs> and made it known very quickly um, that this was the this was this is not what our country stands for. This is not what we want to see, um, and to it's put very, the ad back on, and and they did. They did. Uh, it's and um and you know ultimately they arrive at what most people or many people or the majority of people who or the loudest people think is the right decision. Myself and, and yourself included. Yeah. 
Um, so they, they got to the right decision. Um, they were called hypocrites a lot. Well, in hypocrisy, the absolutely, and and kind of. I mean, you can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. I, I I'm still trying to figure out so far how many. Um, you got to have some kind of metric. So, how many legally authorized same-sex marriages have there been in the U.S. so far to date? I don't know that number. I'd like to find out. I guarantee Hallmark has profited off a lot of them because you know what. A wedding card is a wedding card. You're going well, out and buying a greeting card with the gift at the hundred bucks or whatever you're putting in that thing. And, absolutely. You know, they also make LGBTQ specific. They make cards, cards specifically. So, mm-hmm. so I, that, that's absolute hypocrisy. Which, but if they have that and they, that is their company sort of. I don't want to say ethos because it's not their ethos. But if that's something that you have been committed to and open-minded about, it is baffles me how they ever came to the conclusion to cave so quickly to a group's demands that it come down when clearly you are a company that recognizes and embraces this why would you even contemplate acquiescing it doesn't make any sense yeah it's um it doesn't and 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 i think that they have you know learned their lesson and they've sort of pivoted and recovered um and I, I don't know how to quantify what damage is done. It's reputation damage. You know, it's a huge brand. You yeah. know, they, they they don't have a monopoly, but they ha- have an overwhelming control of their market. In fact, all those other brands like Shoebox, those are all by Hallmark anyways, right? Yeah. Any card you're buying at CBS or Walgreens, it, it's probably a Hallmark card. Most likely. You know? I- and the TV network was built on, green, on, on the fortunes of greeting cards. Yes. I think... I mean, I think their brand took a hit. I mean, we're sitting here and we're having this conversation. I don't know that people are not going to buy their cards and go out of their way to go to a store that doesn't have Hallmark cards. Um, but I'm not doing that. But they are so big yeah. that they that's a, a situation they're in. If this was another company that wasn't as large as a Hallmark that found yeah. themselves in a situation like this, the reputation damage would be far greater. Um and maybe not so easy to bounce back from. It's you know it goes back to the basics of number one, what we always say to pe- do the right thing first. That usually helps. Um, and you know really think 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 these things through. You caved quickly. Nobody there thought if we take this down, someone else is going to be mad that we took it down. Like again, I got to know what was happening in that in that conference room when you know your key team comes together and talks through crisis strategy you gotta go down all of the all of the paths in the for instances if we do this what's this person gonna do and then what do we do i don't know how they didn't see this coming yeah no i agree (laughs) and you know uh uh, of the many tweets and facebook posts and other social media i looked at on this the, the most succinct one was simply love is love right hallmark essentially celebrates love uh, and that's that's the, one of the foundations of the company, and and that's exactly what that ad does. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, anyways, I also really the, like that commercial, but that's yeah, a whole other yeah they've come, they've come around on it, and there you go. So that's that's the Hallmark controversy. Yeah. Okay. Hello, this is Suzanne Morse. Vice President at O'Neill and Associates, and I am on the line with Bijan Bain, 
Bijan Bain is a Boston-born, Washington-based, award-winning freelance columnist and critic. He's authored three books, Sky Kings, Black Pioneers of Professional Basketball, Elgin Baylor, The Man Who Changed Basketball, and Martha's Vineyard Basketball, How a Resort League Defied Notions of Race and Class. And he's written for a variety of outlets, including Boston's own Bay State Banner. Welcome, Bijan. Thanks for having me Thanks for having me on, Susan. Well, we're glad to have you on. Uh, you and I have been chatting on Twitter, where I chat with a lot of people, <laughs> uh, because of our shared frustration uh, about the lack of knowledge about Boston's history when it comes to the African-American community. And this year, uh, there's been a number of TV shows and films, including City on a Hill, which is a Showtime show, um, and even Knives Out and Little Women that tend to show the more commonly known history of Boston and Massachusetts as a whole. So I wanted to chat with you about that and, you know, ask you if Hollywood came knocking on your door and asked you to talk about two or three uh, or to make a film or a TV show about two or three Bostonians of color or share two or three stories pertinent to the history of of, uh, black residents of Boston, what would you tell them? Well, without giving away the store, because there may or may not be some projects and development that I'm involved in that concern Boston, and particularly um, not the Boston that's generally uh, depicted or sure. illustrated in uh, projects such as those, as well as, of course, Mystic River and The Departed and The Town and Gone Baby Gone and things of that nature. Right. Trends of Eddie Coyle and on and on and on and on. Boston Public, Boston Legal. Um, so I don't want to necessarily divulge some of the right. We don't want uh, you to give away ma- any micro the anything micro under specifics. Yeah, <laughs> until they're signed to uh, Hollywood. But I will say that there are, um, you know, there's very interesting stories around people who were um, pioneers in very various genres of music that were Boston-born. So you, there's there's a element that might be explored in biopics. Yep. There's um, interesting stories in terms of the fact that at one point in Boston, uh, obviously Dr. King lived in Boston and married in Boston and attended you know, grad school and got his PhD. But at the same time, Malcolm X was a very young minister in Boston. Right. And a lot of other people that became prominent in the civil rights movement later were either at BU or were, uh, or were local natives. There's that. Um, make some very interesting things around um, early athletics in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, the story about how some of the teams integrated or some of the teams no- notoriously uh, were were late in integrating. But I think, I think just the fact that it's the hometown of a lot of people who uh, national audiences may not associate that person, that right. particular person or that particular band or singing group with Boston, or innovations that came out of the Cape Verdean community or black communities of Boston, uh, other communities, Caribbean communities of Boston, uh, you know, the Calypso traditions and things like that, where people might not nationally associate those things with with, with having originated with Boston, influenced by Bostonians, or even that the person who is involved in the art form or involved in the sport or involved in that activism is a Bostonian. Yeah, I think it just speaks to uh, 
right now the entertainment industry has one image of or maybe it has two right i mean the i think knives out i haven't seen it yet but knives out and little women are sort of one genre of massachusetts story which is an old brahmany look and then there's this other image of um generally white working class people that that's the story that's being told over and over again and you know Boston is a much more diverse community and much richer has much richer stories to share um and I guess I wonder what what it takes to kind of break the stranglehold of those images um so that some of these other stories are being told too well the obvious obvious methods of sort of um, shedding that ceiling would be if content producers who um, can speak to the Caribbean heritage or the Dominican heritage or Haitian or the black American or the uh, Cape Verdean created content that um, had a broader scope and had a more inclusive scope. So that's one way. The other way would be if, the people who have been the producers thus far or the screenwriters thus far, because a lot of these stories are adapted from things that were true. True, yeah. Like the Sons of Eddie Cole and things of that nature. A lot, a lot of the criminal-based um, themes or police or detective-based themes, you know, are pretty much based on things that really did happen. That's true, yeah. Look, looked for stories that did happen um, in Jamaica Plain or Mattapan or, 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 or Roxbury or Dorchester. And... Some of them are quite compelling, including the story about the 1990s when um, people like Reverend Eugene Rivers and a lot of people that were a a generation younger than he pretty much volunteered in the streets to virtually eliminate, I think it was in 1996, the fact that there were like two years consecutive after a rash of years of uh, drug-related killings and murder and things, senseless murder of young people. There were two years in a row where no young person was killed yeah. in Roxbury, Dorchester, or Mattapan, um, and, and any senseless murder of that um, nature because so many people had decided to go into the streets and talk to the, to the uh, young people and to relate to them and to address concerns and to not police them in a certain manner and to give them alternative things to do where the drug trade wouldn't seem like um, the only viable um, means of income. So that's a narrative. And and I think when I saw that they were developing City on on a Hill and when I saw who was involved in developing it, I actually thought that that might be a major uh, part of the story arc is that for lack of a better term, that transition or cleanup. I think they called it um, the Massachusetts Miracle. Massachusetts Miracle, that's right, uh, yep. Not, not the Massachusetts Miracle, that most people around, some people around the country are familiar with, the, you know, the Boston Miracle, what have you. Yeah. And Rivers got a lot of, Rivers was on Nightline, and there were a lot of um, national uh, newspaper profiles and magazine profiles written about Reverend Eugene Rivers and other people at that time. So, you know, just... There are there are very interesting stories, some good, some bad, some criminal, um, some just you know ethnic traditions, uh, ethnic heroes, you know Melania Cass, Luke Batson, right. uh, the two gentlemen from Roxbury that ended up playing in Duke Ellington's horn section that were sort of 
childhood neighbors. Um, lots, lots of rich stories. You know, it's not just Donna Summer in New Edition, but it, then again, it is Donna Summer and yeah. Tony Williams and Terry Lynn Carrington or Roy Haynes. I've already named like three, three <laughs> of the top jazz drummers of all time just in five seconds. You know, who hail from Roxbury. I think that's probably very true. Um, so, Bijan, before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to preview? Uh, any of the work that you are currently doing? Well, uh, hopefully there will be <laughs> some alternate themes available for uh, for viewers relatively soon. Good. And uh, that's a positive thing. You, you hate to, to dwell on the negative. And again, you know, people always say, well, if a filmmaker or writer doesn't like something and he thinks that only one side or one gender is being portrayed, then it's incumbent upon them to come up with alternative uh, narratives. So that some of those things are, are being discussed. Um, and, and I just uh, I just encourage people who are listeners or, or audience members to seek out, if they're interested in the reason at all, to seek out some stories on their own, and they might, some of these people might be content creators right. for all I know, but they might find some very compelling uh, drama, some very compelling uh, narratives, some very compelling characters in people, not necessarily household names like Dr. King and Malcolm X, who are either who are either born in Boston or people like you know Senator Ed Brooke, who isn't really from Boston, right? Sure, but he rises to national prominence prominence in Boston because of the Strangler case and because of it becoming the first black U.S. senator since the Reconstruction. A lot of um, a lot of rich material to to pull with there. Well, I think we'll help, we'll have you back when you can talk more openly about some of these projects you have underway. No, that would be great, and I really appreciate you having me on this time. It's a, obviously it's an underexamined topic, and um, you and I have had some interesting uh, dialogue about it. So I'm glad we're able to share it to with with a larger uh, listenership. Sounds good. Bijan Bain, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Cayenne. So it's the holiday season. It's our last episode of the year. I'm always fascinated by how people celebrate and experience the holidays and, and sort of what is the holiday season. I'm going to be honest, for me, the season in our house, in our household, the season starts out really strong. <coughs> Halloween actually kicks off for us the real holiday season. Um, we, 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 we always are doing something on Halloween night and then during the, during the month we're sort of celebrating and decorating and things like that. There's a, there's a big community Halloween celebration in, in our neighborhood that we're part of. So that it starts really strong. Then you move through Thanksgiving, which is like the ultimate kind of family coming home. And then everyone, you know, everyone, I don't know, I can't say everyone loves Christmas. Then you get Christmas. And for us and for many other families, you also have Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Or you have Hanukkah and not Christmas. We celebrate that also. Mm-hmm. So it's a strong, and I got to tell you, and there's a difference of opinion in my household, but I'm once I get to New Year's, I'm done. Like, I don't care about New Year's Eve. I don't care about yep. the New Year or New Year's Day. I, I want nothing. 
you know. But I'm always being dragged into some kind of, or at least encouraged to participate in some kind of, hey, what are we doing for New Year's? I'm like, hey, how about nothing? Staying home, going to bed at 9 o'clock. Or staying up with the kids and watching the ball drop or, you know, whatever. What about you? What is is the pace and the experience of the different different holidays during the season? And are you a a traditionalist where the season really begins with Thanksgiving or are you going to count Halloween? Yeah. I'm not really a Halloween fan. Yeah. Sorry, producer just, Ashley. Yeah. Um, and, and not don't get me wrong, holiday. I'm not like a big a big uh, Halloween Salem witch, uh, ghost and goblin yep. type. It just so happens that we consider that the start of the season. My son really likes Halloween, so I'm, I've been embracing it. Um, I think for me, it kicks off because um, my birthday is right near Thanksgiving. So I usually, like my birthday really takes me into the, the holiday season. Um, I'm split on New Year's. You know, I, I've had years I've gone out and really enjoyed myself. I've had years I've gone out and I've been like, expectations are too high. And I've had years where I've gone to bed at 10 o'clock. And um, I'm usually pretty good with the 10 o'clock, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's the idea of when it starts. It like, I mean, if you think about when you go into any drugstore or Target, like these days, you see Christmas candy, like, October 30th. Yes. Like, we haven't even gotten through Halloween, nevertheless Thanksgiving, and these companies yeah, are rush, already pushing. pushing the next holiday on you from a from a perspective of, all right, well, people don't want to think about, like, they're going to spend more money if we put out Christmas stuff instead of Halloween candy at this point. And that drives me crazy. I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of year. I love the lights. I love the music. I love all of it. Yeah. But it's special because you went to the it's, pops. I did. It was amazing. Santa complimented my dress. He said you were stunning. Not me. My dress. The dress. My dress. I saw my dress that. You, I, I saw that. Yeah. Pretty good. Highlighted my night. <laughs> um, and it was wonderful too. Anyone who hasn't been the pops, absolutely go. I went. I've been. I about, hadn't I been in twenty years ago. I hadn't been in a long time, yeah. and it was better than I remembered. Um. And Logan loved it, too, and he's six, so that's always nice. Um, But it's such a special and magical time, but it's special and magical because it's not all year, and it's not a long period of time. So to me, when you start putting Christmas stuff in my face in October or early early November, I actually get angry. So, for you know, for years, very, very strictly or disciplined, my birthday is around the middle of December. So... And since I was yes, in my, it is. Thank you for the pizza. And my fa- yeah, and my, and my father's was like right the, the day before, t- t- December tenth, December eleventh. Um, my son's is December sixth. So I've always been like, all right, we put the tree up December, you know, right around December tenth to twelfth, you know, maybe. And, and but then we started doing it earlier, for a few years. Didn't like it, you know. And I love Christmas too. Now, I think Christmas is one is that holiday where when you're a little kid, it's like the greatest thing in the world. It's like it's mm-hmm. like it's unbelievable, right? And I have experienced, and you probably are now too. I know you are, that it becomes that exciting again when you have when you have young kids. It is it's so the awesome. Best. I loved having two young two kids where you, you know. And my now my oldest son is seventeen. My younger son's eleven. They still love Christmas, right? Yeah. But every year I, I start to get a little more kind of uh, like they're getting older. It's not as magical as magical, right? I'm trying hard. We got the the elf. We got the elf still moving around the house. Really, um, still have the elf. Still got the elf. We have our first elf this year. Yeah. So, 
but Christmas is a really special, special time. And, um, and, then, and then in my household and a lot of others, because my wife uh, has celebrated Hanukkah her whole life, we, we have creative ways of celebrating that and traditional ways. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. But it's a lot. You know, it is. It's a lot. And we have birthdays around that time. You get a November birthday. We have two December birthdays, a January birthday. It's like enough. It's a lot, and it's getting to the point that it's exhausting. I think we're people are putting a lot of pressure on themselves, and you and know, you go it's, bro- I go it, broke every yeah. Every you December. know, I like every time I stick to a budget, and then my husband comes in from the left hand side, and he's like, "Oh, I got all of these other things." I'm like, oh, "I already got." And fine. this beautiful Peloton. Yes, hopefully, <laughs> I'm waiting for it. We'll see. I've I've um, dropped lots. I not even hints. I've just blatantly told him multiple times, like, "This is what I want." So I'll, I'll let everyone know in 2020. I'm sure they're hanging on their seats as to whether or not I got my Peloton yeah. bike. All I want for Christmas is my Peloton bike. My son is uh, currently missing his two front teeth. Um, so he's been running, walking around singing, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth a he lot lately. No. Then, he, <laughs> then the other day he said, that's actually not true. Yeah, all I want for Christmas let, is money. Clear. I want money and toys <laughs> and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. I respect that. So. But happy holidays. Happy holidays, Cayenne. Let's enjoy it. And, um, man, this year is in the books. This is our final episode of 2019. Farewell to 2019. Another great year for OA on Air. Yes. All right, thanks a lot. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in Government Center, downtown Boston. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. Up next, an interview with Carlisa Brown from the Salvation Army talking the Red Kettle Campaign. So good morning. Hello. Good morning. I'm joined here by Carlisa Brown, the Chief Advancement Officer for the Salvation Army's Massachusetts Division. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. It is a busy time of year for the Salvation Army. We have the Red Kettle Campaign in full force that ends on Christmas Eve. So we're coming down to the wire. We certainly are. <laughs> so thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, yes, yes. We're gearing up today. We'll be at Downtown Crossing. So very excited about mm-hmm. that. Lots happening. So can you tell, for anyone that might not know, I think people see the kettles. They know that it's the Salvation Army, but they may not really know what it is the Salvation Army does, its program services. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So Red Kettles, they're iconic for the Salvation Army. Red Kettles is our way uh, of, of, of bringing to the forefront the work that we're doing in communities for people who are in need, who do not have a voice, that need assistance, uh, that are, um, whether they're in need of, of u- utility assistance, clothes, food, uh, care for their kids, you know, things like that. And so the kettles is what we do in terms of raising dollars to support those efforts. And that um, starts usually in early November. It certainly does. This early year, I think, November. was a, uh, it's a little late. It, it's a little late. Mm-hmm. It's a little fluke because just the way the holidays fall. So mm-hmm. uh, we're definitely out there in full force trying to do, you know, our best in terms of, you know, red kettle and ringing the bell. Uh, but it's a short season for us, so um, it definitely has impacted the work that we do. Yeah, and I know that there's a goal of $3.8 million this year, which is, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, <laughs> and it's a lot but of it's money for a good cause. Money. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, and that I think people are sometimes surprised to find out that 
the pro the money that's raised supports programs and services that all year long. All year long. All the money that we Salvation raise Army goes is back into working. the community. We mm-hmm. are always working. It's not just during the holiday times. We're out there, I would say, 24-7, 12 months yeah. you know, <laughs> in a year. And, and the money we raise supports all the programs and services we have, whether it's a feeding program, whether it's something supporting uh, kids and youth development or a seniors program. We just wrapped up a Christmas castle where we were giving out coats, toys, and food vouchers. Yeah for I think it was what 15,000 for about 15,000 families that you know other had it not been for the the Christmas castle wouldn't have perhaps toys for their kids um on on Christmas morning uh or during Hanukkah and um and obviously coats today it's 13 degrees outside these are (laughs) these are are brutal times (laughs) yes um and that to think that those families wouldn't have access to that without the Christmas Castle and the programs and services um, really does just kind of give a very good image and makes you kind of really get it, I think, when you see it. It does. I, you know, yesterday, um, you know, as I said, we wrapped up the Christmas Castle, and I had an opportunity to speak to um, a, a family about, you know, what it means to them, Christmas Castle, and uh, this parent, you know, said, I have three boys, and I didn't know where where I was going to go to get toys because they were limited in funds. And she talked about being grateful for the support that the Salvation Army has done for her um, in terms of being able to put something under the tree, even though they don't have a tree, but being able to, to do that is key. Uh, as you can imagine, you just talked about it being cold. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the biggest times that we get a lot of calls from folks who need emergency assistance um, in terms of um, utilities, whether it's heat, uh, whether it's food, whether it's rent. Mm-hmm. And Salvation Army is there. We are there meeting the needs of those who uh, are, are marginalized, who, who whose voice isn't heard, and we're there helping them. So if people are interested in volunteering or getting involved in other ways, what can they do? Where can they go? Well, first off, I say we are always looking for volunteers. (laughs) (laughs) Always. And volunteers are awesome. I've met some amazing volunteers over the past couple of days with Christmas Castle. So if you're interested in being a volunteer, I ask you to visit our website. Our website is www.salvationarmyma.org. Okay. And uh, you're also very active on social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, Instagram. We're always posting. Um, you'll see something. You can always respond to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a number of programs that we're running that volunteers love to get involved with. Matter of fact, I'll just mention we have uh, something that we're developing right now for young professionals uh, called Echelon Chapter. And we're looking to host our first event on January 22nd, which will take place at our South End Core located on Washington Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're looking to bring together a lot of young professionals, putting together emergency disaster care kits. Nice. Uh, and so, uh, and just talk about what that need is and how we are there in the face of whether it's um, last year how we had the gas explosion or if there's in some part of the country where there's been hurricane or whatever has hit, we have these care kits that are there to, um, Ready to, go. to provide for, for families. So this year marks the 136th year of the Salvation Army Massachusetts Division. What do you think makes the Salvation Army stand apart and stand the test of time? 
Well, um, the first the obvious thing is 136 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's that a long that's, time. That, I mean, that that is a long time. I don't think people realize. Um, you know, when you if you were to ask someone on the street, you know, have you heard of the Salvation Army? And the first thing they'll mention is the kettles. Second thing they'll mention is the thrift stores. Uh, the impact I I think for the Salvation Army is we're there at the beginning and we're there at the end. Um, we are caring. Uh, we are, are there for folks. We're in a number of communities. We have 32 core community centers uh, throughout the state of Massachusetts. We have over 219 service units uh, that work uh, with people. Um, we it's it's an amazing it's an amazing organization to to be a part of and to work with and such amazing people who have a heart for good mm-hmm. uh, who have a heart to serve uh, no matter what I was out yesterday um, with one of the majors who was ringing the bell and um, obviously looking for donations that's what the, the bell is for and a gentleman approached him and said he needed money for food and he took the money out of his pocket and gave it to him and I just thought that was such a great example of so many of the people at the Salvation Army and what they really exemplify absolutely it's uh, it's you know, it's, it's kind of heartwarming. I mean, when you think, especially during the holiday times, that's when you hear a lot of the, the sad stories of, of what's happening, um, of, you know, I don't, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Uh, I don't know if I, I just lost my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know how the heat's not on. I, don't, I have a little baby. What am I going to do? And, and I'm so grateful for um, what our core officers do. Uh, in terms of sitting down with folks and just hearing, listening, and providing that support uh, to let them know that they're important, yeah. to let them know that uh, that we're there to, to help you in any way possible that we can. There are so many wonderful stories that come out of the Salvation Army. So uh, we do encourage anyone, if you are out shopping, eating, walking, and you see a red kettle, please. Please give. I tell you, we we need that support. Uh, you never know. There could be someone that you know that is that needs assistance that may not say, mm-hmm. and and the Salvation Army is there to support them as well. So please give. I also say that if you want, uh, you can also start your own virtual kettle, mm-hmm. which I think is wonderful. Very cool. Um, you can where you would go to do that is salvationarmyma.org backslash virtual kettle, and you'll be able to set up your own virtual kettle page, which is great. Um, One more thing we have is we call it Kettle Pay, which is like the Apple Pay or Mm -hmm. Google Pay, where you can hold up your phone and and either use a QR reader or, um, uh, you know, or or be able to uh, match it up. Scan the code. Scan the code, and you'll be able to make a gift. So please, everyone, if you see a kettle, please give. Lots of ways to give. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Carlisa for joining us. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. Two Minutes with Cayenne. Two Minutes with Tom. Yeah. Last edition of 2019. Can you believe it? Boy, did this year fly by. It really And we've been doing this now for almost a year and a quarter. Uh, I think about a year and a half, yes. A year and a half, wow. Time flies when you're having fun, Tom. It sure does. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. Yes. As we signed off the year last week, we would talking about Brexit because the elections were going to be held a day later than our last broadcast. Mm -hmm. And boy, what a, I thought, I thought quite surprising 
the landslide win that Boris Johnson had. Overwhelming victory. Overwhelming, overwhelming, with the exception of some areas of Northern Ireland and, and Scotland, um, where there, those questions are still outstanding. Mm-hmm. But it looks to me like Brexit is going to come on the 31st of January. Um, Which is, it's it, been three years in the making. It's been three years in the making, and a very decisive campaign brought to the people of, of the UK, mm-hmm. and they came back with an overwhelming response of, let's do it and get it over with. Um, I, I think the ramifications of Brexit are going to be felt for a long time to come, and we can talk about that as we as we go through, you know, the, the, the various evolution of, yeah. of post-Brexit. And, uh, and, and the effects that it has had. But uh, we know now that there won't be hard borders in Northern Ireland, that the border will take place somewhere between England and Ireland for the whole of the island of Ireland, which is really quite important. The second mm-hmm. thing we know is that the DUP, which was the coalition party in Northern Ireland, which made up uh, Prime Minister May's government and then Boris J- Johnson's government, is gone. Uh, they were beaten pretty decisively by the Sinn Féin party uh, in Northern Ireland. So that all is going to have some effect uh, on trade and so forth. Then, of course, we have our, our own President Trump, you know, picking up the telephone, talking to Boris Johnson and saying that after Brexit, they'll, we'll, we'll put a trade deal together. Well, that remains to be seen, and we'll, we'll have to wait for it. But there are a lot of kind of machinations in play because you've got the rest of the EU, the European Union, who have already transactional contract in place with the United States as mm-hmm. to how we go forward. And so it's, it's easier said than done. And uh, the evolution of post-Brexit is going to be something we all want to watch. It's going to be quite the shakeup. Yeah. So yeah. we will, any other, any other immediate predictions? So if it's the 31st, like what does the first look like? I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what it means. I mean, I know Jamie Diamond has said that he's going to move the bank, which is, located at his European capital, uh, his European uh, headquarters is in London. He's going to move that either to Frankfurt or to Dublin. Um, so th- there's going to be some effect for other, other areas of, of, uh, of the uh, EU, which will benefit from, from you know, this decision on Brexit. The, the fallout, some jobs are going to be lost, some mm-hmm. depreciation on the pound, um, and they're going to be there's going to be dislodgement of some some industries, especially in the financial service area. That much we know. The effect of it, we don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll talk again in 2020. We will talk about it, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you, Cayenne, and happy holidays. And to you. Merry Christmas. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. This is our last episode of 2019. Thank you for listening this week and every other week of the year. Uh, we wish everyone a happy holidays from our team here at O'Neill and Associates, and we will be back in 2020.